Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children. Jack Morrow here. Woke up to my cell phone ringing with a series of text messages from Control. Jack, wake up. Get out of the area. Avoid the gas. I'm just happy she cared. This isn't my first rodeo, and my dear sweet mother was kind enough to prep up the abandoned hospital I was staying at for any possible event. I've been recovering from my trip to Utah. The doctors were horrified at my state, and I don't mean Missouri. Lacerations up and down my stomach, a broken wrist, mild concussions, mild starvation, dehydration, and exposure. I told them that I hadn't exposed myself to nobody, and they tranquilized me. Can't blame them. I got out after they pumped me full of antibiotics and stitched me up. The doctors in rural Arkansas only ask enough questions to know if I'm the kind of person they should stop looking into. Especially around Clarksville. Sometimes guys who drive themselves into a parking lot and walk into an urgent care, all calm line covered in dried blood, gravel, barbecue sauce, and energy drink, don't want questions about their professional lives. Besides, I pay for the good health insurance. The doctors actually called me sir. I sleep in the top floor of an old three-story hospital that used to service the small-town populations of the Ozarks. Back before the government centralized health care in the big cities, for reasons I never understood, there were little hospitals all over the country. These are largely abandoned. The nice-looking ones get turned into tourist traps, like hot springs. I enjoy a rusting, slightly brutalist hulk surrounded by Ozark mountain ranges and uncomfortably far from the major highways. I got off my mattress and unplugged from the generators. I sidled up to the windows and took a peek. The trees swayed in the breezes, cool for this time of year as fall summer had ended. I had to concentrate, but as I watched, a tendril of green fog twisted in among the trees. It moved against the breeze, turning this way and that, like an octopus touching its way through a dark oceanic crevasse. It turned and twisted over itself, the advance scout of a wave of more gas, rounded and bulbous. Occasionally one of the hills burst, and new webs and lines of green fog flowed down, eating up ground as it came closer. As far as I can tell, it wasn't reaching past the halfway mark of the second story. I pulled out my binoculars and took a look. The trees weren't dying, but I could see silhouettes of birds flying out as fast as they could. A few dipped into the trees, and I didn't see them come up again. A pair of deer crashed through the underbrush, panting and making weird yip sounds. I didn't quite get the meaning of their cries, but they hit all the right warning buttons that hadn't already been hit. They weren't limping, but they weren't moving in the right way. There wasn't enough light to see whether they were wounded. 
more's the pity. Like I've mentioned in the past, animals are a good way to gauge a situation. If they're avoiding a plant like the plague, you should too. If they won't drink from a certain brook or pool, neither should you. If they're running, you should run too. I didn't have much time. I threw on my detective duds, an extra hoodie under it, hood up, and then grabbed some gloves and tape. In a few minutes, I had my clothes sealed against the fog or gas as best I could. I threw on my holster and a few of my knives in a belt and bandolier across my chest. I ran down the stairs into the basement where some real goodies are hidden. I know some homeless types squat on my land, so I hide the good stuff from, uh, curious eyes. Vikings like the Mongols sometimes ride down here and party near one of the streams that cross my land. I don't mind it since it's a good cover for my own activities. The more clandestine acts to hide me, the better. See, if there's anyone or anything watching me, they won't notice me in the noise. More chaos, the better. Going in, I had a couple questions. First, what was the reason for the fog? Second, how to escape? While paranormal Pinkertons are connected with many different organizations of the paranatural community, it's control that binds the detectives together. Whatever is going on within the larger organization doesn't matter as much as long as control's there. If control gets word, there might be an event near my last known location. She will fulfill her duty to tell me. I'm not an affectionate man, but if something ever happened to her. I pulled out the wooden pallet and revealed one of my caches. I pulled out the gas mask and did the same with it against the hood of my sweater. Again, I was sealed. I felt confident I was going to survive this. The first of the green gas was reaching down into the basement steps. The green stuff wrapped around columns supporting the first floor. It caressed the banisters and then clutched at them, not quite pulling anything but sticking to it. It didn't move with the air currents or any usual Euclidean physics for that matter. The gas was paranormal. I didn't know if it was a thinking thing or if it was the equivalent of an amoeba. I wasn't going to find out if I could help it. I ran up the other side of the basement and made the first floor. The gas was seeping through the cracks of the broken down building doors. The ancient signs for radiology, emergency room, and the chapel glowed as the gas framed them. I swung my flashlight around and the tendrils followed the beam, eating up the light and flowing like a kind of Filling the space as food allowed, I turned off the flashlight. The arm of the cloud fell back to the floor, no longer climbing the beam of light. Something slammed against the door, and I started to run. I do chain the doors, and I pulled out my keys and fumbled for them with glove-muffled fingers. I watched something pull itself through the cracks. The gas burst forth and then coagulated into a canine shape. Like watching clouds on a March cool day, it reminded me of a dog. But it was not the proper shape of a dog. It reminded me more of a hound. The form was too thin, and the silhouette was too efficient. I ground my teeth and hurried. The cloud hound did not leave the border of the gas. Whatever it was, it had some form of rules. I clicked the lock and ran out. 
considering the gas, I didn't close the door behind me. Instead, I ran straight. The car was in an area already taken by the gas, so instead I went for the forest, deep as I could. With luck, I'd hit one of the farms or maybe one of the biker gangs partying and warned them and pick a ride out. The gas had been stopped on either side by the hospital, but the, but the bulbous, coral-like flagella were just peeking out, filling the available space. I could hear the crackling and the brush of the weighty gas moving through the leaves. Behind me, all the foliage was turning brown, still attached to the trees or the ground, but now making sounds like laughter, hideous, scratching. Any breeze just set the mad forest to a new pitch or key, and it followed my retreat. I felt desperate. I needed to assess the threat. When dealing with an unknown, it's best to see what rules it had to follow, and what rules from other paranormal entities also applied. Can it pass running water? Was it man-made, or some black swan event roving the vast, nearly incalculable tracks? of American forest. I was betting on man-made. This didn't fit any of the local myths. First, Pine Bluff's arsenal was about 50 miles from my location. While officially, chemical weapon testing and transport was off the table, I knew of several experiments in the supernatural taking place within Arkansas and Missouri. Second, it had a slow, steady, perhaps controllable progression. Lastly, it was easy to see, so friendly soldiers could hightail it out while enemies would be taken by surprise. Perhaps it added a defined limit. Of course, this information was useless to me until I made it out. Having knowledge of something doesn't make it less deadly. The horrid, scratching laughter of dead trees followed me. My breath was fogging the mask lenses and I could barely see, relying on the moon as best I could. I wouldn't risk the flashlight again. On either side, the gas cloud dogged my steps, the abandoned hospital still protecting me with its shadow. The head start was dying away fast, tripped on a root after I took my eyes off the ground. I cracked my head and lost consciousness. I woke up in the fog. By the grace of whatever guardian angel is over my shoulder, my seals remained firm, and the glass of my mask lenses were uncracked. The whole area was still as I picked myself up. Even the cracking, mocking laughter of the leaves had ceased. I took a step forward, and no gaseous beast came to check on the sound. Perversely, the sickly green light was brighter within than without. I tread carefully keeping sound to a minimum, and sticking near trees or dodging around rocks whenever possible. I didn't want to make an easy target for anything hunting me. I jumped over a stream. After a few minutes in the fog, I heard the crackling of a roaring fire, louder in the silence than it would be normally at night. Someone had been partying. I stayed low and made for the sound. I stayed away from the light of the inferno, but I saw it from a far distance. In the light, mad shapes like the hound I saw before were jumping and dodging, their mouths snapping at the flames, which did not warp to their attacks. Their snout and mouths widened like the jaws of sharks, all sharp angles, 
the geometries and shapes warped, and some turned into Cerberus-like beasts or hydras desperate to attack the flames. The flame sparks flew up and silhouettes of scythe-like hawks swung at them. Something crashed into the wigwam of logs set into the middle of a clearing. The gassing flowed over it, and for a moment the fire dimmed in the concentration, but did not stop its fury. I turned aside, but my hand brushed over something smooth and I jumped back. A man had been sitting back to the tree, a gun in his right hand, and a sack of something had fallen out of his left. I saw that he had shot himself. I could smell nothing, but as I saw more and more of the man in the firelight, the more I felt panic building in my stomach. Coral grew out of the man's exposed skin. Strange purple buds dipped in and out of his nostrils, ears, and covered his eyes like the scales of a fish. Bite marks could be seen on the flesh, and from them a red and gold flower had blossomed. Blue roots dug into the skin, flowing in and out like a madman's stitch. I had placed my hand on the motorcycle helmet on his head. On both ends there was a pair of pink twisting pillars. The exploded flesh burst out like the first millisecond of a pop bubble. The twists were not unicorn horn-like, but lumpy and crooked. Lines folded over themselves with red wires or domes connecting the two. From the ground, where specks of blood and bone and spattered, tiny pillars rounded, dipped in the middle like a used candle. Could be seen here or there as the firelight are loud. The coral sparked, and I left, backing away. Now I could see others like him, bodies, their flesh like masses of coral or strange flowers reaching up into the sky, blending in the shadows of the trees. None of the others had the same pink coral pillar. I stepped carefully around them, trying not to touch them. I took out a compass and covered it with my hands, hoping whatever beast roamed the fog wouldn't see any light from it. I knew the back of my hospital faced east, and the roads north and south of me were likely the fastest way out. I nearly reached the road when I heard the rumble, the chainsaw beat of a motorcycle engine. I ran for the road, but the engine halted. Names were called, then a light flicked on. The gas changed around me. Things ran past me, ignoring my dark clothing, intent only on the light. A pair of screams broke out, swearing and gunfire ricocheted into the night sky. I ran the other way, my feet finding the pavement. I knew I was going deeper into the fog, but the light of the motorcycle flashed, fell, no longer pointing into the forest, but pointing at me. I jumped off the road and into a drainage ditch. The clouds shifted and flowed, and I knew that some of the hound things were standing where that little light had illuminated me. I pulled forward, slowly, surely. My head remained down. Something scanned over the ditch, but now I was out of the light. It saw nothing. I could not tell by sight whether or not it was there, but I felt it. Perhaps the thing drooled at the thought of more sport. Drops of poisonous cloud falling to the ground over my head. I would not know. The screams stopped. 
I heard a sound like needles slithering through flesh, and once or twice a bone cracked like firework. I dragged myself forward. When I looked up, I saw the hound things playing in the light. The shadows gyrated as they had with the fire, but now it concentrated, the forms spreading out or turning smaller as they danced back and forth in the light. They made no sound, but their madness had a tempo. I kept my head down until I passed through a bend in the road. By now, there was only the light of the moon. I pulled myself up. The road would give the hospital a wide arc so that the noise wouldn't disturb the patients. I followed it into the center of the fog. The uniformity now played with the mind. It couldn't just be blank. No. Shapes must form in the shapelessness. The mind demanded it. I saw faces of people I knew were dead. They were animals. Predators in the fog. A statue like Lady Justice loomed in the night until I blinked. I walked and saw lights again. I ran off the road. Again, I saw the hints of glancing, gyrating shadows, hungry to snuff out the light. I ignored them, turned to the side, and kept low to avoid the light beams. It was a tractor trailer, an 18-wheeler. It held the signage of some discount food store you've never heard of before. Such things were common in Arkansas. I saw the back was broken open and the lock smashed. The red lights didn't have the same effect as the white or orange LEDs. I pushed the doors open. Barrels were stacked on barrels from bottom to top. One of them had been thrown to the ground and forced open, certainly with a crowbar. I could barely read the canister in the red glow. Geisterhund. Ghost town. I checked it. It had some nonsense I couldn't read, as I don't understand German. Military transport, even hidden ones like this, always carry some sort of antidote just in case of accidents. I searched and found a box as large as one of the barrels on one of the shelves. I took it outside and abandoned it. Like the signs in the hospital, the slightly reflective letters and symbols glowed in the fog. There were four images. The first showed a broken set of containers. The second, the box I was holding. The third was a key, like the ones used to wind up clocks inserted with a clockwise arrow. And last, a man running from a box. I searched for the key within the truck and the dark. I found nothing. I backed out and walked a distance on the road until I was sure the orange lights weren't going to shine in my eyes and attract the geyser huns. Along one side, a man lay on his back, a set of strange red pillars with blue roots corrupting his torso and piercing his tattered shirt. A couple of bikes lay along this side, their riders draped across them or within the forest, barely visible in the orange glare. I could see a flat tire on the truck. Some bikers come by, curious. Something gets said, or they recognize the driver as a military man. They knock him down and open up the back. Maybe one of them gets curious and opens up a can to see what's in there. Maybe he knew what he was doing and just didn't make it out in time. They ran. Didn't even have time to turn on their bikes. The driver was helpless. 
Every bit of his flesh had been corrupted, except his face, still in shadow. That looked untouched, whole. I saw, just out of reach of his upturned right hand, the key. It was in the shadow, but I saw the forms of the geyser hunts playing in the orange light. I went back to the drainage ditches along the side. I pulled myself through the muck till I reached the right distance and rose up. The key was close to the man's uncorrupted face. He was dark-skinned, broad-featured, not quite handsome, not ugly. I crept forward, not willing to stand up. I kept an eye on him as my hand reached for the key. My fingers closed on it, but then something under the eyelids moved. I stopped, holding my breath. Bubbles formed on the lips and lids, anything that was a flap of skin over a hollow point of the body. An insect, rounded, six-legged, floated up between his lips. Then another crawled out from his eyes. First one, then three, four, six, floating over his face. I flung myself back into the ditch and crawled for the box. I slammed the key home, twisted until I felt a click. The box sprang open and a red digital screen gave me a countdown of ten seconds. I ran for all I was worth down the road. At the end of the ten count, a bright, pure, white light flashed from the box, illuminating the whole countryside. I am sure that if I was looking at it, it would have blinded me. The flash brought with it a cracked snap that repeated with every burst. High-pitched whine echoed as it charged up again and again. I was knocked off my feet by a sudden gust of wind. The gas was moving, the whole thing twisting and contorting around me. Things ran in the gas, rushing for all that it was worth towards the source of the bright light. I felt paws play over my back. They didn't notice or care about me. I covered my head and hunkered down. The flash burst again and again, and the wind increased. I think I blacked out. When I woke up, it was over. The night was dark in its pitch black, purple majesty. Headlights of several vehicles reflected off the clouds in the direction of the Pine Bluffs arsenal, and I scrambled off the road, ignoring my tired and sore body. I crawled into the woods, staying low. Above, I heard the steady whisper hum of a drone, only discernible because it did not vary. I watched a convoy of vehicles tear down the road towards the tractor trailer. When they passed, I ran out and away, not stopping until I was past the dead forest and then to living trees. I have several bunkers in cardinal directions from my hospital. They're little more than holes in the ground, but they'll keep me safe long enough to make this report. I'll write up my findings and drop them in Clark's 19. I'm probably not going to stay in the Arkansas area for a month or two. Just got one of those feelings. Jack Morrow, out. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio, licensed under an attribution non-commercial share-alike international license. This episode was written and performed by Ben Wheeler. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Visit us on Facebook. Read articles on superversivesf.com 
and wherever podcasts are distributed, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts or email us at PinkertonsGhosts at gmail.com. No apostrophe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next one.